Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, in 51 AD, 18 years after Jesus walked out of the tomb alive, the Apostle Paul was in Athens, and he noticed all around him all of these idols that really frustrated him. These people aren't worshiping the true God. What can I do to get them to realize that the gods that they're worshiping They're not the true God. There's a true God out there, and I want to get them to understand the true God. And Paul noticed that they had an altar to an unknown God. They set this altar to an unknown God up just in case they left somebody out they didn't know about. And Paul used that to launch into a segue to Jesus. Not only that, he wound up quoting their own poets. Notice That when Paul goes to Mars Hill and is speaking to people who are not Jewish and obviously are not Christian yet, he doesn't quote from the Old Testament as he did with the Jews. They didn't know what the Old Testament was. They didn't didn't have common ground from the Old Testament with Paul. He did that with the Jews, but he didn't do it with the Athenians. What he did, however, was he found a bridge to the gospel by quoting their own poets and referencing beliefs in their own gods. He used their own stories to try and segue to Christianity. In effect, Paul used the movies of his hearers, hearers, the movies of his day, to bring them to faith. And that is what my son, Zach, and I are trying to do in the new book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. The book came out about a month ago. We've done one show on it. We did one show on it about a month ago. Other events have come in between that program and this one. We thought they would be successive, but they weren't. We we had a gap in between. And so we'd like to complete our conversation and point out how your favorite movies, certainly the favorite movies of of the the West here, uh, point to the true God, the true hero, The greatest story ever told is a story that has been retold and retold in some of your favorite movies. And in previous programs, we or the previous program we did, we covered how Iron Man, how Lord of the Rings, how Harry Potter and Batman, those movie franchises point toward the ultimate hero, Jesus, and they borrow from the greatest story ever told, Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings. Not Lord of the Rings. We talked about that last time. We're going to talk a little bit about Wonder Woman. We're going to talk about Captain America, also Star Wars, and how all these point to Jesus. So it's always great to have my son, Zach, back on the program. Zach, how are you? Hey, Dad. Happy to be back. All right. Let's get right into it. Why don't we start with Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman is a chapter in the book Hollywood Heroes, and actually... In mythology, 
Wonder Woman is somehow related to Zeus and Ares, who were these Greek gods that the Athenians were worshiping back in 51 AD when Paul was there. How does Wonder Woman or uh, Diana relate to, to Zeus and relate to Ares? Yep, so in the comics and in the movies, Diana is actually a daughter of Zeus. Uh, for those of you that know the mythology, uh, Zeus is kind of a womanizer, so he has offspring with a variety of different women. And so when the time came to create Wonder Woman, her creator um, decided that she would be a daughter of Zeus and then just kind of added on a little bit to the traditional Greek mythology, if you will. And, and who so is she Ares? Up, Ares? Ares is uh, the god of war. If you're familiar with Roman mythology, you may know him as Mars. He's a pretty okay. common kind of, um, if you want to call it, uh, warmonger in a variety of different films and stories. There have been some uh, books and video games that have come out featuring him in recent years. The God of War series, if you're familiar with that, uh, covers some of some of Ares uh, and stuff like that. And so what what Wonder Woman is doing is just kind of interjecting a little bit of traditional Greek mythology into the DC extended universe. So Batman, Superman, uh, the Green Lantern, uh, a whole ho other host of heroes that you may or may not be familiar with. So when Paul is on Mars Hill, he's actually on the Hill of Ares as well. This is how this is all <laughs> tied in, ladies and gentlemen. And when Paul is on Mars Hill, he's quoting uh, the, the poets of of uh, Greece, one of them is Epimenides, whom he he quotes. And uh, he also actually talks about the fact that the Greeks said that in Zeus, we live and move and have our being. And what Paul does is he takes that belief and he says, no, in Jesus or in Yahweh, we live and move and have our being. And God is not it does not dwell in temples built by human hands, he says this, as he's talking to the Athenians. So he's using the stories of his day, the day or, or, or the stories of the people whom he's talking to, to relate to them the true story. That's what he's doing. And it amazes me there are people that have put reviews on our book on Amazon who obviously haven't read the book and they say, well, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be using these fictional stories to point to the true story. Just read the Bible. Well, Paul didn't just read the Bible when he was talking to people who didn't know anything about the Bible or didn't believe the Bible. He didn't quote from the Old Testament, as I just mentioned. He quoted from their own stories, and that's exactly what we're doing in Hollywood Heroes. Now, Wonder Woman has a unique kind of superpower, Zach. What is her unique superpower that's different from the many of the other superheroes we cover in Hollywood Heroes? Yeah, so Wonder Woman is really unique. You know, uh, the most obvious being that she's female, and we don't see a lot of female superheroes in traditional comic books. They generally cater towards more male audiences. And so um, when she was created, she was kind of the first a major female superhero in the genre. And as such, you know, a lot of things separate her from some of the more traditional heroes that we've looked at thus far, like Captain America or Iron Man or Harry Potter, right? Uh, she's not supposed to be, if you want to call it, um, you know, a recast of a male character. She's not overly masculine. She's not stronger than everyone else like Superman is or something like that. Um, Diana's real superhero, when you come to think about it, is actually love. That's really mm. what is really what is uh, makes her unique as a character is that she does not always triumph over her foes with strength or with guile 
um, or with, you know, in, some type of um, overpowering. Yeah, superpower. Yeah. Superpower, right? Usually how she overcomes it is she brings people together. Uh, and mm. she does that by showing that love, uh, not the love that you get out of society, right? True love, if you will, love that is based in the truth is the way that one of the ways where we can overcome evil. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we move on. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the kind of love that our culture thinks is the true kind of love is approval. That mm -hmm. if you love somebody, you're going to approve of everything they do. Now, a moment's reflection on that should tell us all that, no, that's not true love. I mean, if you're, if, if, if you're a child and your parent approves of everything you want to do, that parent is not loving. You have to stand in the way of evil, and that's what Wonder Woman does. In fact, she doesn't follow her heart, as the culture tells us to do. She does exactly the opposite, which is a great lesson for young people, ladies and gentlemen, because if there's one message out there today that our young people are hearing over and over again is follow your heart, follow your heart. Don't let anyone stand in your way. Whatever your heart wants, go do. That couldn't be worse advice, especially if you don't put any moral restraints on your heart. And Wonder Woman is a great example of someone who, who says, no, I can't follow my heart. I have to follow the truth because if I follow my heart, I'm going to wind up hurting myself and hurting others. But if I follow the truth, I can save people. And we'll talk about how she does that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. My guest today is my own son, my eldest son, Zach Turk, who is the co-author of the brand new book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. We're going to talk a lot more about this right after the break, so don't go anywhere. Back in just two minutes. Do you want an easy way to get young people, even older people, more interested in God and more interested in Christianity and an easy way to relate biblical life lessons and even apologetics? There's a good way of doing it, at least we think so. It's in our new book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. By the way, if you go to crossexamine.org, click on store, we have 10, uh, not 10, we have actually 100 copies of Hollywood Heroes that we can autograph for the first hundred people that buy the book from Cross-Examine. Just go to Cross-Examine, click on online store. You will uh, see the book there. If you don't want it autographed, you just want to get the book, we can send that to you as well. Or you can just go to Amazon or wherever you get books uh, and pick one up there. I want to mention before we get back to this, this weekend I'm at Grace Community Church in Sarasota, Florida. All the services this weekend that's June 4th and 5th, and also next weekend, June 11th and 12th. And on Wednesday, June 8th, uh, Chip Bennett, the great pastor down there, and I are doing a Q&A session. That's Wednesday night at 6 p.m. on June 8th. And then after that, I will again be at Southbrook Church in Weddington, North Carolina. We're going through I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And the following weekend, June 19th, the great Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, all the services there while the equally great Jack Hibbs is on vacation. I'll be out there speaking to that wonderful congregation. Following that, uh, Bethany Church, not far from where I grew up, Wyckoff, New Jersey, that is June 26th, we'll be doing the morning services and the evening 6 p.m. service that will have a lot of Q&A. So check all that out on our website, crossexamine.org. Just click on events and Frank Turk calendar. Hope to see you out there. Okay, back to our discussion today 
about these stories that we're enthralled with on the big screen. It turns out that these stories are partially borrowed from the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus who came to earth and lived a perfect life and, of course, suffered on our account and then rose from the dead to prove his claim to be God. And by trusting in him, we can not only be forgiven, we can be given his righteousness and the stories that we see in these in these movies parallel uh, much of the greatest story ever told. Right now, we're talking about Wonder Woman and Zach. He's my son, Zach. Before the break, we were talking about how Wonder Woman does not follow her heart; she follows the truth. Can you give us an example of this from one of Wonder Woman's two movies? Yeah, I'll give you two actually. Uh, so the first in the first movie, we kind of see Wonder Woman as this. Um, as this character who's out of time, right? So she's entered the world of men and no one really knows what to make of her. In fact, if there's actually a funny meme that kind of sums up both of the Wonder Woman movies and it's basically her boyfriend, Steve Trevor, going, Diana, no! Don't to basically, do this. Yeah, don't do this to everything she does. Uh-huh. And so she spends most of the first movie basically going against the grain. Everyone is telling her to hide herself. She's a woman. She shouldn't be in the room. She shouldn't be out fighting on the front lines. And consistently, she is going against the grain because she knows what she's doing is right. And so just imagine, for example, right, if her big coming out scene where she crosses no man's land in World War One, something that everyone assumed would get her killed, if she just takes Steve Trevor's advice and then just continues to walk along the trench a couple more miles to a safer crossing. Well, obviously, that's not it. That's not good. Right. So she knows that she has the capability to help. And so she does. And then the second, probably better example in the second movie, Wonder Woman 1984, is this idea that, uh, spoiler alert, Steve Trevor actually sacrifices himself at the end of the first movie, um, but is somewhat uh, comes back, if you will, in the second movie as a shade of his former self. It won't spoil the plot much more, but Diana realizes that Steve is dead and he's not coming back. Right. And she has to come to grips with the fact that in order to overcome the villain of the movie, Maxwell Lord, she's going to have to let Steve go. So she can't follow her heart. She can't follow her heart because as much as she wants the love of her life, Steve, to be back with her, he can't. And so what does she do? She realizes that part of loving someone is accepting the truth regardless of where it leads, right? And so, and then as she moves forward into fighting Maxwell Lord, she has to do the same thing with him. She actually defeats Maxwell Lord, not by power or strength or guile or anything like that. She defeats him by making him recognize that what he's doing is hurting the one he loves most, Mm. his son. And Mm. once he finally realizes the truth of that, that's actually when Max stops. It's not anything else she does. It's that fact that love requires the truth to exist and to exist in a way that's meaningful. So she does not use a superpower on the evil villain. She doesn't overpower this guy because she's not really fighting uh, someone with superpowers or someone that has to be overcome with superpowers. I think in the movie, as we point out in Hollywood Heroes Act, she's really fighting human nature. Absolutely. Yeah. She's got to get people to change their thinking. Kind of sounds like renew your mind, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. They've got to change their thinking and make different decisions if they are going to save themselves and save the world. If they keep following their hearts to be selfish and get whatever they want, which is what 
Wonder Woman 1984 is all about. If they keep doing that, they're going to destroy themselves and destroy others. This is a absolutely countercultural message, ladies and gentlemen. I know, I know you're listening going, Frank, there's a lot of garbage that comes out of Hollywood. Hey, Zach and I totally agree. But when they get something right and we can use it for good, we ought to use it for good. And here they're getting something right. So Wonder Woman in both of her movies, actually she appears where else in Justice League too, doesn't she? In Justice League and a little bit in Batman versus Superman as well. Yeah, that's right. But the two main movies about her are called Wonder Woman and then Wonder Woman 1984. And so Mm -hmm. there are good messages in these movies if you just know where to look. And that's what we do in Hollywood Heroes. Uh, Let's take a look at Captain America, Zach, for a minute. Uh, Captain America is your favorite superhero, I think, because, well, you were a captain at one point, right? I was a captain for six years, so kind of had some connection with him. (laughs) Uh, But what is what's unique about Captain America? How does he parallel Jesus more so than, say, other characters? Yeah, so what's really unique about Captain America is his superpower actually is not really what defines him as a character. In fact, when you think about it, um, Steve Rogers, the short, scrawny, little 100-pound guy soaking wet who's too small to enlist in the army in World War II, is basically the same guy who's duking it out with Thanos at the end of Avengers Endgame. And what I mean by that is as a character, he's very static. Uh, Steve Rogers has always got himself figured out. Morally, he has a very strong compass. You never think that he's going to make the wrong decision. It's more a matter of how he's going to get himself out of whatever his moral compass, whatever mess his moral compass has gotten him into, right? The fact that he's going to take a stand for what's right. Well, how is he going to be able to then figure that out and defeat the bad guy? And so Steve Rogers is is a really good example of what we would consider to be a a quote-unquote iconic superhero, the guy that you know is going to get it right. You're never worried that Steve Rogers is going to make the wrong decision, that he's going to succumb to temptation or anything like that. And so in that sense, he is very, very similar to what we see out of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Also, the interesting thing about him is that he's so concerned about righteousness that when the side he's been fighting for for so long goes bad, he doesn't try and cover it up. He actually switches sides, doesn't he? He does. In fact, that's really one of the the main themes of the second and third Captain America movies, both in Winter Soldier and then uh, to a lesser extent in Civil War. Uh, because what you see is, you know, Captain America is going against America in some cases. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, what, is, what does that mean? It means that Steve Rogers, uh, unlike in what you see in World War II, once he figures out that the side that he's on no longer has the moral high ground, he moves. He's Mm. going where the moral high ground is, right? He Mm. wants to make sure that regardless of what side he's on, that's the side of what's right. Okay. And if that means that he won't submit to a governing body or to another superhero's opinion, then Steve Rogers is going to do what's right, no matter the cost. Now, will will Steve Rogers sacrifice himself to save others? He will. And in fact, one of the ways that he goes kind of a step further Uh, than some other heroes in this regard, is that he's willing to do so not only for his friends, but for everyone else. And so Mm. there's this really iconic scene in Avengers Endgame that most of you are familiar with if you see it, as after Thanos has defeated all of the other Avengers, guess who's left? Yeah, Captain America. The guy that doesn't really have superpowers. The guy that doesn't really have a super. He's basically, you know, a football player that's taken a bunch of steroids. He's really, Uh uh you know, kind of fast, but... He's really outclassed by the other heroes. And what you see is Steve Rogers alone 
picking himself up off the ground, and you see this really iconic shot of him versus Thanos and his entire army. And what does he do? He doesn't turn around. He doesn't falter. He's, he straps his shield back to his arm, and he starts walking towards him as though he's going to take him on by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really iconic. Now, he does actually prove himself long before he has any muscles. How does he do that when... There's a general there who wants a big buff guy to be part of this special super soldier program. But there's a doctor there who's saying, no, no, I don't think your big buff guy is the right guy. I think this guy is Steve Rogers, who can barely like lift a pencil. He's so weak. How does this guy prove himself, Steve Rogers, when he's a weakling, that he's the right guy for the program? That's right. So there's a colonel played by Tommy Lee Jones. I can't remember what his name is in the movie. Erskine. And then there's a, do- oh, there's the a doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah, there's a doctor Erskine, right? And they're evaluating yeah. candidates for what's called then the super soldier program, which is um, basically the, the serum that gives Captain America his powers. Mm-hmm. And as they're evaluating a bunch of candidates, Dr. Erskine kind of zeroes in on Steve because he realizes that Steve has the moral attributes for the job. Right. I can turn anyone, I can give anyone super strength, super speed, you know, agility, super smarts. But what I can't do is make them a good person. Mm. And so what happens is over the course of their training, um, the colonel, Tommy Lee Jones's character, is trying to prove that the soldier that he wants, uh, who's, you know, looks the part basically, he's really buff, he's very tall, he seems strong already, is going to be the guy for the job. And so he picks a grenade up out of a box. It's a, it's a dummy grenade, but no one knows that. And he tosses it into the middle of all the candidates and to a man, they all jump, jump away from the grenade. There's only one who jumps on the grenade. Who's willing to sacrifice himself for everyone else. Who is it? Mm-hmm. Obviously it's Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. right? The little hundred pound guy that can't even finish the, the physical training test is the guy that's willing to sacrifice himself for everyone else. And that's what ultimately causes Dr. Erskine to pick him Uh, for the program. Now, Rogers is willing to sacrifice himself, not only for his friends, but even for people that he doesn't know. And when people ask us, what's the common theme running through all these superhero characters to Jesus, we always say, and this is the biggest common theme, they're all ready to sacrifice themselves for others. That's what all these superheroes do. Sacrifice is the key. But they don't go quite as far as Jesus. Whereas these people will sacrifice themselves for their friends, even sometimes people, or some people they don't even know. Only Jesus will sacrifice himself for his enemies. You and me, that's what he did. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to get into Star Wars and the ultimate hero, Jesus of Nazareth, from our book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God, with me, Frank Turk, and my son, Zach Turk, the co-author of the book. We're back in two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, movie fans everywhere, who uttered these lines? Look, your worshipfulness, let's get one thing straight. I take orders from just one person, me. Afraid I was going to leave you without giving you a goodbye kiss? I think you just can't bear to let a gorgeous guy like me out of your sight. Sorry, sweetheart, I haven't got time for anything else. Well, princess, it looks like you've managed to keep me here a little while longer. You know, sometimes I even amaze myself. I'm not really interested in your opinion, 3PO. I'm giving it away now. <laughs> don't, don't everybody thank me at once. Never tell me the odds. 
All right. Who uttered those lines? Well, the guy with the best lines in the Star Wars series, in my opinion. That would be who, Zach? It would be Han Solo, played by the immaculate Harrison Ford. Yes, Harrison Ford played played Han Solo. And Han Solo is the perfect name for this guy because he's just in it for himself, right? He doesn't want to be part of the team. He's in it for the money, he says to Princess Leia. And he expects to be paid handsomely for what he's doing. It's all about him. He is the rule-bending scoundrel of a skeptic in the Star Wars series. But something happens to him, Zach. He actually goes on a, a, a path of redemption. And how does this happen? What happens to this guy, Han Solo? He sees the power of the Force. That's the short answer, right? Is that he is skeptical at the start of A New Hope. And then over the course of the next four movies, really, because he appears in four movies, as most of you know, he begins to see what he initially thinks is basically voodoo, magic, stuff that doesn't exist. And then he sees it happen in front of his very eyes. And so what does he do? For lack of a better term, he really converts Right. He converts from being a skeptic to a believer. And what persuades him? Well, just like anything else that we talk about in apologetics, right? The evidence. It's what he sees with his own two eyes. And so the the difference between the character that we see in the start of A New Hope and the difference between the mentor that we see to Ray and The Force Awakens is basically an entire 180. By the time he appears in his last movie, he's saying, when people ask him about The Force, he's saying, oh, well, it's true. Right. All of it. Everything you've heard is true because I've seen it. And he started out by saying, look, it's just simple tricks and nonsense. None of this stuff's mm-hmm. really true, kid. It's better to have a good blaster at your side. That's what you really need. And then he, of course, realizes <laughs> it's all true. Now, this is a fantasy world quite obviously developed by George Lucas. And we point out in Hollywood Heroes how this parallels Christianity and how it differs from Christianity because the force obviously in Christianity is not like the God of the Bible. And so we point out all those differences, but the story underneath, or it's really the the lead of this whole thing, the story that you really uh, look at and you really get enthralled enthralled with is the battle between good and evil and the redemption that goes on, not only of course with Han Solo, but the bigger story of redemption is the redemption of Darth Vader, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But there's something else I want to talk about with with Han Solo, Zach, and that is Han Solo actually is in a lot of debt to Jabba the Hutt, who, by the way, is way bigger than a hut, right? You disappoint me, Solo. You haven't paid me. When are you going to pay me, right? He he can't pay him. He just doesn't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And so, so Jabba the Hutt puts him in carbonite. He freezes him in debt. And then a redemption takes place. What happens, Zach? Well, his friends rescue him, right? And so this guy who's only been able to count on his himself his entire life has, has to come to grips with the fact that now he's in the hands of someone else, someone, as you know, who loves him, Princess mm-hmm. Leia. And so this change that we see, this softening of the character, not only has to do with what he's seeing with his own two eyes, the Force, but also the change that he's seeing in his life. The fact that not only someone loves him, but he loves someone back as well. And so we see him become more selfless as the story goes on. Things that you never would have thought that he would do in the first movie. He's leading, right? He's a general by the time Return of the Jedi comes comes around. 
Um, and, you know, he's the one that's leading troops into the fray on basically yeah. a suicide mission. <laughs> yeah. And it starts it, when he's about to be frozen. I think I remember this rightly. When he's about to be frozen, Leia, Princess Leia says to him, I love you. And he goes, I know. I know. <laughs> he doesn't say, I love you, right? He says, I know. And then he's frozen. And then, of course, Leia's brother, spoiler alert, Luke Skywalker, who also loves Han, comes to really free both of them, Leia mm -hmm. and Han. And that softens Han's heart until, uh, until he ultimately sees as well that the uh, Force is true, and then he totally converts. So it's kind of similar to what happens to us, right? It's not just that we look at the facts, most of us, and go, oh, yeah, it's true. We're also led to Christ by people that love us, people that show love to us. So you see this in uh, the redemption of Han Solo, which we talk about in the book Hollywood Heroes. But the bigger story of redemption is, of course, Darth Vader. Why don't we start uh, with Anakin Skywalker, who falls and becomes Darth Vader. Tell a little bit about that story, Zach. What happens to Anakin Skywalker that actually leads him to the dark side? And how does this parallel Christianity? We'll get into it, but go ahead. Yeah. And so Star Wars, as you know, is appropriately called the Skywalker saga, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because it follows this very large character arc, starting with Anakin Skywalker and the, what we, we call now the prequel trilogy. Uh, so the, the chronologically first three set of movies, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And so we see this young man, Anakin Skywalker, succumb to the dark side. And so what do, what do we mean by that? Well, Star Wars, as you mentioned earlier, is right basically this battle between good and evil that plays out. Basically, it, 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 Lucas actually calls it space opera, right? So mm -hmm. we have this very, very big, wide um, set of events, and it's very clear to the audience that, hey, you know, I, I do this and it's bad. I do this and it's good. And the sides are very evenly laid out. And so Anakin Skywalker starts off as a young boy and then basically succumbs to every form of temptation that you can imagine, right? And so Master Yoda, one of the Jedi Masters in the series, basically lays out what's going to happen, right? Is that fear leads to anger and then anger leads to hate and then hate leads to suffering, right? And so because Anakin can never overcome the first symptom fear that leads him down a darker path progressively throughout the series until ultimately he becomes what we know in the original movies as Darth Vader. Mm. And by that time he has become so disfigured. He does not even resemble the man that we saw in the prequel trilogy. Right. Now that's He's an interesting point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We need, we need to talk about this point as we, we uncover it more in the book, Hollywood heroes, but mm -hmm. Lucas actually makes the characters uh, their sins visible in their physical appearance. Explain what he does there. Yeah, so as we as we move on the spectrum, if you will, of the dark side, we begin to see this. Anakin is really probably the best example of this, right? So in Attack of the Clones, when he lets his fear overcome him, as he rushes to fight Count Dooku, well, he gets an arm lopped off, and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. well, that stinks, all right? And you don't, you may, maybe you don't think much of it, but. Also in the movie, you see him, you know, slaughtering a village of sand people on Tatooine and seeing his fear really drive him to make decisions. And, you, you know, OK, you may not think much of it, but as we move into Revenge of the Sith, 
and he progresses even further, you start to see his physical appearance change even more. And so when he uh, succumbs finally to the temptation of Darcidius, you see his eyes change to yellow, right? And you see his um, appearance become a little bit more saggy, if you will. And you see this really when the emperor fights Mace Windu as well. He goes from you know, not a bad looking old man to all of a sudden, you know, his skin is kind of uh, like he's got burns all over his face and he's really wrinkly. And then finally, when Anakin fights Obi-Wan on the lava planet, Mustafar, we finally see the physical transformation to match the moral fall, right? He loses all the rest of his arms and legs, and then he's basically burned to the point where you can't even recognize him. And then finally, after that, he's encased in a suit of armor. And then, you know, you get the famous quote from Obi-Wan. He's, he's more machine now than man, mm-hmm. twisted and evil. And so you see his appearance match the moral fall that has taken place throughout the course of the series. So Lucas decides to show the sins of the characters in their physical appearance. Now, that happens to us in a much more subtle and slow way but aging really Mm -hmm. should we shouldn't age if if this wasn't a fallen world we wouldn't age but we do age and when we sin sometimes those sins are demonstrated in our physical bodies and what lucas has done he's just amped this up in the Star Wars series. When you notice the people are on the on the light side, the Jedi's are pure. They, they they don't have any of these physical deformities. Luke and Leia, they're all pretty people, right? But you look at the Emperor, you look at Darth Vader. In fact, Lucas even says at one point he's more man than machine, as you said. Uh, he's he's hooked up to a breathing machine, right? He can he's he's hardly a man at all. But then he's redeemed. He's redeemed by Luke. Spoiler alert: His son. How does he do it, Zach? Yep. And so you see, again, a little bit like we alluded to with Han, is that the son redeems the father. And Mm. why does the son redeem the father? Well, obviously, it's not anything that the father has done, right? Anakin Skywalker is basically on a murderous rampage from the second movie on. Um, But what happens is Luke believes that there's still good in him, just like there's good in all of us, right? None of us right? We believe as Christians are beyond redemption. And so, you know, the theoretical question that you you would ask yourself is, can Darth Vader be redeemed? And the answer to that in Star Wars is obviously yes, because you see at the end of Return of the Jedi that Anakin Skywalker is depicted as whole. Uh, there's a mm. scene with him, with Master Yoda and with Obi-Wan Kenobi at the very end when they're all force ghosts, if you will. And so Lucas has doubled down so far on this point that if you uh, if you actually go back, if you can find an old VHS copy of Return of the Jedi, the original actor in that scene is David Prowse, who's the guy under the under the mask of Darth Vader in the original trilogy. Well, when uh, when Revenge of the Sith was released, George Lucas actually went back and digitally inserted Hayden Christensen, the guy who plays Anakin Skywalker as a young man into every single new copy of Return of the Jedi that's been released since. And so if you were to go buy a copy of Return of the Jedi today, you would see Hayden Christensen digitally inserted back into that scene, depicted as whole and redeemed, Yeah, if you and, will. He, and it looks like the Trinity. It, you, you got Yoda. <laughs> Who do you have in that? Yoda? It's Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Anakin Skywalker. That's right. It looks almost like the Trinity there. <laughs> he, he seems to have taken it from Christianity. 
Uh, not only that, then we asked the question in the book Hollywood Heroes, can someone as evil as Darth Vader go to heaven? And we'll cover that right after the break and then talk about the ultimate hero, Jesus of Nazareth, where all these movie heroes are pointing to. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. My guest, my son, Zach Turk, co-author of the book Hollywood Heroes, back in two minutes. If you want to learn how to better present the evidence for Christianity and answer questions that you might you might get from a hostile audience, you need to come to the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, CIA. Our 15th annual will be this summer, July 28th to July 30th. We actually moved it into, Ju into July. For the past 14 years, it's been in August, and we had some teachers going, we can't come in August. We got to do it. You got to do it earlier. So we're doing it in July. It's going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. We only take 60 students because not only do we present to you, you present to us. So you're going to be evaluated in your presentation by either myself, Jay Warner Wallace, Greg Kokel, Elisa Childers, Natasha Crane, people like that. So if you want to be a part of that, go to crossexamine.org, click on events. You should see CIA there, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. I think you've got to apply. Well, you got to apply, I think, before the end of this month. But if you apply after we're full, we're full so sorry. You, you got you to gotta sign up or apply now. So we only got about, I think, about a dozen seats left, if I'm not mistaken. So you've really got to get on this quickly if you want to be a part of CIA this year. Check it out at crossexamine.org. All right, back to my son and the new book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. By the way, I want to thank everybody for giving us positive reviews on Amazon. If you do like the book, please go there. It really helps because there's always people that'll give it a one-star review who haven't read it. And there's nothing more frustrating to an author or authors who have spent several years writing a book to have somebody not read it and slam it without reading it. Look, if you read it and you don't like it, I get it. But don't ever do that to somebody. I don't care if you hate the person. Don't ever evaluate something you haven't read. That's not fair, okay? It's not fair to the people who spent a lot of time putting it together. But the rest of you, thank you for uh, putting a positive review up there if you can. Let's go back to Darth Vader for a second before we get to Jesus. Zach, we have a section in the book Hollywood Heroes about Darth Vader and his redemption and how the sins that he got involved in and the process he went through is very similar to the process the Apostle James talks about in the book of James. We don't have time to get into it right now. But can a guy that bad actually go to heaven? That's what we ask in the book. What's our answer? Our answer is yes. And we, we covered some of the basis for that earlier on. And again, we're taking what happens in Star Wars and kind of translating this here, right? But the idea in Star Wars is that Darth Vader can be redeemed. And so the question is, well, what does that mean for us? But there's also something else that's very subtle in Star Wars that you, you might not pick up if you don't think about it. And it's not that the Jedi are all good because they aren't. In fact, much of the prequel trilogy is a criticism, if you will, of how the Jedi Order is structured. Because what you get out of that, in fact, is uh, that as bad as Anakin Skywalker was, he was failed along the way. He's failed by Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's failed by Master Yoda. He's failed by Mace Windu, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson, as you know. And so the Jedi Order isn't perfect either. And yet at the end of Star Wars, what do we see? That scene that we saw 
or that we alluded to in the last segment where uh, Obi-Wan, Master Yoda, and Anakin Skywalker are all depicted together, not necessarily because they are perfect, because they are not. And so the question, uh, do bad people go to heaven? Can Darth Vader go to heaven? The answer is only bad people can go to heaven. No one Mm. is perfect and we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior to help us along the way. And that as good as some of us can be like master Yoda or Obi-Wan or Luke Skywalker, or as bad as some of us are like Darth Vader, we still need someone else to push us over the edge. And who is that? Well, Christian would say that that's Jesus. Right. And it is Jesus. And of course, in the movie, Luke is one of the ones that tries to redeem his father and ultimately does succeed. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the point where Darth Vader actually is unmasked by his son, uh, he says, uh, Luke says, I need to save you, father. And Darth Vader Mm -hmm. says, you already have my son, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Go tell your sister you were right. Mm -hmm. And since we are talking about Star Wars, I need to say this. I find your lack of faith disturbing. I always wanted to say that on the radio, so now I have, all right? And I say it in the audio version of Hollywood Heroes, too. All right, let's now talk about the ultimate hero. We're leaving a lot out. We can't cover the whole book, obviously, in a couple of podcasts, a couple of radio programs. And by the way, this is a podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's also a radio program. So if you're listening to this on the American Family Radio Network, thank you. If you want to hear it again or direct other people to it, just look for the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. Let's, Zach, let's talk about the, uh, the hero to whom all of these superheroes point. And in these two programs and in the book Hollywood Heroes, we cover... Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman is in the book, as well as Spider-Man, and they all point to Jesus. What is the essential element that causes them to uh, be sort of heroes patterned after Jesus? What do they all do? In fact, we mentioned this earlier. Yeah, the central theme is sacrifice, but even more generally, I think, the whole premise of the book— Uh, and this really applies to any type of literature that you talk about, is that you can't tell a story, particularly a good story, without alluding to the greatest story ever told, right? And if I would describe the book in one sentence, that would be it. And so, again, going back to what Paul says in Acts 17, when we talk about Zeus, for example, we're not saying that Zeus is bad or good. We're saying that there are good parts of him that make him, in many ways, like Jesus. Mm. Not all Mm. like Jesus, right? Because Mm -hmm. no one is like Jesus. But when we take something like that to say that Superman is powerful, like Jesus is all powerful, or that Captain America is good, just like Jesus is perfect. He's better than me, but he's not as good as Jesus. That's That's the comparison that we're trying to make with all of these heroes. In fact, here's what we say in the final chapter of the book, Hollywood Heroes. The chapter is called The Ultimate Hero. Here's here's what we ask. We ask you this question, the reader. If you were making up your own superhero, what kind of qualities would you want your hero to have? Imagine you could create someone who had, and then we go through these heroes we cover in the book, Captain America's righteous idealism, Iron Man's Jesus, Harry Potter's willingness to sacrifice, Luke Skywalker's discipline, Sam's loyalty, Frodo's humility, Aragorn's courage, Gandalf's wisdoms, wisdom, Batman's focus, Superman's power, Wonder Woman's love. You would have Jesus, right? 
Actually, you would have someone closest or closer to Jesus than any of these heroes individually, but you would still be a long way from the real Jesus. The person of Jesus is unique in all of history and literature. No one rivals him. There are commonalities, as we have seen here in the book, but there is no one perfect match because there is no one with the perfect credentials of Jesus. And then we go through some of these credentials, and here's one of the credentials that, or a series of credentials I want to I want to just talk about for just a couple of minutes because I think this is often overlooked when we look at our Lord. We don't realize how unique Jesus, just as a human being, was. I mean, think about Jesus. Uh, He is full of truth, but he's also full of grace. He's full of holiness, but he's also approachable. He's strong, but he's also tender. He's confident, but he's also humble. He's completely mission-focused, but he's also loving. Now, it seems to me that these qualities are normally opposed in most human beings. I don't know anybody who holds all of these seemingly opposed qualities in perfect tension, so he's 100% of both. I don't know anyone who's 100% truth and also 100% grace. I don't know anyone who's 100% holy, but also 100% approachable. Do you? Do you know anybody that's strong but also tender at the same time and confident but also humble at the same time who's completely mission-focused? I mean, they're goal-oriented, but they also love people equally well. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody in fiction. I don't know anybody in person. I don't know anybody in nonfiction except the character who graces the pages of the New Testament called Jesus of Nazareth. How does this human being, how is this man so unique? Nobody could have invented him. That's, That's what we talk about in the final chapter of Hollywood Heroes. Nobody could have invented this character. He would have come across as inauthentic, but yet Jesus doesn't come across as inauthentic at all. When you read him, you're just enthralled. If you, if you, if you open your eyes and you really say, this is a real, real human being. How does this guy do this? How is he full of truth and also grace, holiness and approachability, strong but tender, confident and humble, completely mission-focused but also loving? How does this happen? And then he goes and sacrifices himself for the very people that he created who torture and kill him? He does this for his enemies? And then he rises from the dead. And by the way, this is all written down by people who had no motive to make it up. These these people didn't think someone could rise from the dead in the middle of time. They didn't think someone could claim to be God. That was blasphemy. And yet these people go to their deaths for saying, this guy really existed and really did these things? I mean, as someone put it, if Jesus had never lived, no one could have been able, no one would have been able to invent him. But here he is. And all of these movies, ladies and gentlemen, that we go through in the book Hollywood Heroes, all point to the ultimate hero. Although they point to him imperfectly, he is the only perfect character. So if you're enthralled by any of the superheroes you watch on the big screen, you should be more than enthralled with the Savior who came to die to save you. So Zach... There's so much more we could talk about in the book or about the book. Just give me your final thought and what do you, what do you want the people listening to know about the book? 
I'll give you two. And it's one, mm-hmm. one is to pile on just for one more topic on Jesus, because mm-hmm. this is really, I think, the thing that sets him apart most from any hero that we've discussed. And that's this. Jesus never let his good qualities lead him to sin. Right. So Iron Man's genius gets him in trouble. Jesus right. never lets his good qualities lead him into sin. And last thing I'll leave you with is it absolutely been a pleasure to do something you love with someone you love. And so, Dad, it's oh, been a yes. pleasure to write this book with you. And I'm looking forward to doing it more in the future. That's all from me. Thank you, my son. I love you. Excellent. All right. See you next time, ladies and gentlemen.